0: good morning church family both here and those online hope you're having a good morning this morning scripture will be out of Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was before him I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. Then I came to the governor's of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sembalat the Hornite and the Tobia the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Let us pray. Dear God, we want to thank you for the day that you've made. Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunity to come here to this, your house, to sing to you, to hear your word read, and in just a bit, to hear your word preached. And God, may your word not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts. And if they are deaf and hard, Holy Spirit, please open them and allow them to hear and allow their hearts to be changed. And dear God, may we learn from Nehemiah that when we have great concern on our heart and we feel stress in our lives, that we seek you for guidance. That what we say and do might be pleasing and glorifying to you. God, I ask you now to be with Brad as he preaches. Lord, give him a recollection of what he has studied for and what you have given him. We love you, Lord, and it's always my prayer that everything that is said and done would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For it's in your name I pray, amen.
1: Thank you, Mark. Last week as we started the book of Nehemiah, talked about the fact that Nehemiah is a man of faith. He's a man of faith because he's living in exile. Israel, Jerusalem, had been destroyed now for over 100 years. The kingship of David had fallen. The place had been in disrepair for, like I said, at least 125 years. But he is still looking for the welfare of his people. He's still longing for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. He still wishes that the temple of God was there, that he might be glorified through it and through his people. He was anxious over Jerusalem. And I want you to think about this this morning because Nehemiah had almost certainly never been to Jerusalem. He had almost certainly never seen it. In the first chapter it says, in the months of Chislev he was in another city. It was not Jerusalem. And in fact, Jerusalem had become such a nothing place it was not even the capital of the region anymore as the kings of Persia had changed <coughs> The importance and the capital cities of the entire region. So when Nehemiah asks here to go and rebuild the town of Jerusalem or the city, there it's a desolate place. He's asking to rebuild a city that almost doesn't exist, as the Lord had prophesied through His servants. It was a place where once there were vineyards, but now it was brambles. Once there were uh, dwellings for people, and now goats lived in them. The place was in terrible shape. The Bible says here that Nehemiah was serving the king, and it says here in the month of Nisan. Now, in the first chapter, it says that uh, it opens in the month of Chislev. So what is occurring here in chapter 2 is at least four months later than what we read about in chapter 1. At least four months, but we don't know what year it was in chapter 1. It could have been a year, two years later. We don't know exactly. But Nehemiah, over all this time, had still hoped and longed in his heart that the fierce anger of the Lord would be turned away from Jerusalem. And like I said, he's a man of faith. Last week he prayed. He confessed his sin. He confessed the sin of his forefathers. And he knew that if they would confess their sin and turn back to him, that God would once again, even though he had scattered them to the ends of the earth, and even though they had been gone for a hundred years, God in his grace would bring them back. He believed that. And the fact that it had not happened made him very sad because what that meant was he and his people had still not repented of the sin which they had done. And so here he is in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes and he is serving the king his food. Now we know that Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king which almost certainly means he was the king's food taster. He was the one who made sure that nobody poisoned King Artaxerxes. It was a very important position. In the old days, uh, people like to kill kings by poisoning them, get rid of them, and take over their kingdom. So he had a court official there who made sure he wasn't poisoned. Now, it's a bad thing when you are the guy who has to taste the food when you look like something's wrong with you. That's bad. If the guy who's testing your food looks like he's kind of upset, you might want to talk to him about it. It might be something you want to investigate? That's why, if you'll look here in the text, it says that he was greatly afraid. King Artaxerxes points out, why are you sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. What's wrong with you? And he says, I was overwhelmed with fear because he thought, oh no, the king is going to think something's wrong with me because somebody's trying to poison him and my life could be in trouble. So he was afraid when the king noticed that something was wrong with him. He was terrified. Now, we know last, from last week that Nehemiah inquired about his people in Jerusalem. How is it going in Jerusalem? And they said, the walls are broken down, the gates are destroyed, and we're surrounded by enemies, and the people are living a desolate life. And he sat down and he wept and he prayed. And he had asked the Lord to give him favor in the sight of King Artaxerxes. Now, this was many months before, at least many months before, he had no idea that at this moment, at this time, that God was going to answer the prayer. Opportunity knocked. The reason he was sad is because he hadn't gotten over the fact that his people were in a desolate condition. He had carried this grief with him for at least four months, so much so that he showed it before the king. The king could read it on his face. And this is what true repentance and sorrow looks like. In our day and age, in our culture, we hardly know anything different. And But what I mean is we hardly know anything different than we're supposed to be happy all the time. We're supposed to be... And when we're not happy, then we have all of these options available to make us happy and to distract us. We are in a constant mode of complete distraction. If sadness or sorrow pops up in our heart or a moment of loneliness or a moment where we feel disconnected, we just go to our phone and we look at Twitter or we look at Instagram, we look at Facebook. We distract ourselves from sadness and sorrow and things that are problematic. Nehemiah has been sad for at least four months. He, he went without eating and without sorrow. He embraced this sadness. He could not shake it. And because of that, I want you to know but what we're reading here about Nehemiah is normal. This is what repentance and mourning over sin and sorrow looks like. This is what grief looks like. It doesn't just go away. It's there. He couldn't hide it. It was all over his face. He was mourning over his sin and not only his sin, but the sin of all of his people that had caused them to be scattered and had caused the temple in Jerusalem where the one true God had put his name to be destroyed. And so the king looks at him and says, What's wrong with you? That's the bottom line. What's wrong with you? And Nehemiah says, I'm sad, because the house of my ancestors, the city of my ancestors, has been destroyed, the gates burned down, the walls knocked down. And it's grieving my heart. And so opportunity knocks. The king says, Oh, well, what's your request? (laughs) That is a big ask. He is standing before the most powerful man in the world at that time, and he says, what do you want? And what I want you to notice is he says, verse 4, the king says, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. This is the second time that we have seen Nehemiah pray to the God of heaven. Nehemiah was not only a man of faith, he's also a man of prayer. And so when he was put in that immediate Spot where the king says, What do you want? The first thing he says is, He goes to God. I want you to think about that. He's standing before the most powerful man in the universe, and the man asks him, What do you want? But the first thing he does is go to the true king of the universe. Because it's actually not Artaxerxes who's answering these requests, it's the Lord. We get distracted by the things of this world. We get distracted by power in this world. We get distracted by other things in this world. And we forget that the one who's actually on the throne in this world is the Lord God Almighty, the King of Israel. The same one who was on the throne when Nehemiah was there. Nehemiah was afraid that maybe he had offended King Artaxerxes and he might do something to him. But what he didn't know is that the true king of the universe had orchestrated all of these events. As soon as Nehemiah had begun to pray, the Lord had begun to move so that he could bring his people back together and be faithful to the promises he had made. Nehemiah prayed. It was his first reaction. I wonder if prayer is your first reaction when things like this happen, when you are surprised, when things catch you off guard. Is the first thing you do is you go to the Lord or do you begin to scramble to solve your issues yourself? How do you react? What is in your heart? Are you, like Nehemiah, a person of prayer who, when things happen you go to him in prayer and it doesn't have to be a complicated prayer but a sort of constant god consciousness and what i mean by that is this how much time do you think he had to pray here what is your request could you hold on a moment O king artaxerxes i would like to talk to the lord in prayer i don't even think the king knew he was praying here's probably this is a guess But this is probably what Nehemiah's prayer sounded like, if you could hear it, because he probably didn't say it out loud. He probably went, Oh, Lord, help. Lord, help me. I don't know. (laughs) What am I going to say? He's already overwhelmed with fear. I've told you this story before about being instantly in prayer. And it's a fun story. And it's also a public service announcement because it almost killed me and my wife and my young son. So I want you to know about this. This is instant prayer when something goes wrong. We were driving to Louisiana. It was raining. We were in Mississippi on the interstate. And I was a grown man with kids. Well, one, Ethan. He was in a car seat by me. And I did not know that you should not drive in the rain with your cruise control on. Did you know that? Don't do it. I'll tell you why. Because it's automatic gas to your car, see? And if your wheels break loose in the rain and you've got cruise control on, you will start spinning on the interstate at 75 miles an hour. It was a really weird scenario. I won't forget it. The Lord taught me something out of it. <laughs> and also, uh, stark terror sort of burns into your brains so that you never forget it. But my cell phone was set, and when it rang, it sounded like a rooster crowing. I have no idea why, but this is it. So we're driving down Mississippi. It's raining. All of a sudden, my back end gets a little squirrely, and then we start doing 360s in the interstate. And my phone is ringing, and it's going, Urgh! But in that moment, my wife and I became very close and pious to the Lord. And here is what my prayer sounded like. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what we said. I did not ask him to take the wheel, but I did cry out to him as much as I could. I had no idea what was happening. My wife's prayer life was much the same. We had not prayed like that together before or since. We were in earnest and we meant it. And the Lord somehow delivered us from this tailspin and we pulled over on the side of the road of the interstate and stood there in Mississippi and had no idea what to do because I did not know why my car did that. I say all that to say when the world shocks you, when something happens like this or you're driving down the road, whatever's going on in your life, I hope that your first impulse is to cry out to the Lord who hears you. Like I said, you, you read in... The scripture is one of my most interesting passages. Remember when the, Jesus had taught all day long on the Sea of Galilee and he tells the guys to go on over and they get in the boat and they're rowing across. And it's hard and the wind's blowing and it's raining. And, and they look out there and they see someone walking on the water. And they're terrified. Of course they are. And they figure out it's Jesus because he hollers at them and says, Don't be scared, it's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come walk. To you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. So he gets out of the boat and he's walking. And then he gets scared, of course, because one, he's walking on water. And two, it's stormy and it must have been scary. And he starts to sink. And what is his first reaction? Lord, help. That's what he said. Lord, help. And I remember, right there, look it up in Mark. When he cries out, Lord, help, it says, and immediately... Jesus stretched out his hand and grabbed him. Immediately. No waste of time. The moment Peter said, Lord help, Jesus snatched him. That's how the Lord waits on our prayers. And that's how he responds. He's not delaying. He's not waiting. He is working. Immediately. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. An opportunity knocks And he goes to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help. King says, what should I do for you? What is your request? And Nehemiah says, send me to Jerusalem and let me rebuild the city of my fathers. And But wait, I'm not done. Give me letters so that the king's forest can be used to rebuild the gates and rebuild the city. And send letters to those who surround Jerusalem that we are under the protection of King Artaxerxes, who rules the area. Give us these things. And the king says, Okay, it's yours. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 1 The king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand, he directs it wherever he chooses. This was the Lord. The Lord was doing this. The Lord was working through Nehemiah. These men before him were just instruments. It wasn't Artaxerxes who sends Nehemiah to Jerusalem. It was the Lord who determined to send Nehemiah to Jerusalem. The Lord is the one who does this. Look at uh, verse 8. It says at the end of verse 8, The king granted my requests, for the gracious hand of my God was on me. Why did Artaxerxes say Sure, go rebuild Jerusalem. Sure, I'll protect you. Sure, take the wood from my forest to do it. Because God had moved him to do it. Artaxerxes is an instrument in God's hand. Nehemiah, remember, had never set foot in Jerusalem before. This is a big deal. And he had no idea, I'm sure, going in there that day that he was about to ask to go rebuild a city which he may have never seen. But the moment he said, what do you want to do? The thing that was in his heart came out. I want to go rebuild the city of my fathers. And the Lord granted the request. Nehemiah probably did not realize that he would be the answer to his own prayer, to his own anguish, to his own grief. His longing was for his people to prosper. His longing was for the place where God had chosen for his name to dwell to be rebuilt. He wanted that day and night. He was concerned about it. It caused him to grieve. He wouldn't even eat. That's what it means not to fast. I mean, that's what it means to fast is not to eat. And it wasn't a hard thing for him because he was mourning. If you meet someone who's in mourning, even food becomes bland. doesn't even want to eat. Sad before the king of Persia, even though being sad before him could have cost him his life. This is what was on his mind. He did not know in his grief that God was going to say, you want to see Jerusalem rebuilt? I'm going to send you to rebuild it. He did not know that that was what was going to be His job, God used him to do that job. He was a man of faith and he was a man of prayer and that is the type of person that God can use, that God not only can use, listen, will use, will use. He will use you just as he did Nehemiah. The Bible is full of people who are always surprised or bewildered when God chooses them for service even though they wish to be a servant to God. Moses was surprised. Was he not? He sees a burning bush that's not consumed. He thinks, that's weird, because it is. I've never seen a burning bush that burns and it's not consumed. So he walks over to investigate this anomaly. He's been wandering in the desert with sheep for 40 years, and he thinks, I'm going to go see this thing. It's literally what Genesis says. And he walks over and God speaks to him out of the bush. He says, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. Now this is where it gets wild. And God says, Moses, I'm going to send you into Egypt and you are going to be the one to be the deliverer for my people. I know it's in your heart. You were so upset when you saw them in Egypt that you became so angry at their taskmasters that you rose up and murdered one of them when they were beating your people. Now, because of your concern, I'm choosing you, Moses. Go to Egypt and go right into Pharaoh's court and tell him to let my people go and they are going to go out. So go on. Get after it, buddy. Stick your hand in your cloak. Look here. You're leprous. Stick it back in there. There's no leprosy. Throw your stick on the ground. Now it's a snake. Pick it up. It's a stick. It's going to be amazing. And what does he say? I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't speak well in front of crowds. I get a little nervous. I stutter. The Lord says, "No, I made your mouth, I know about it. Go on in there, I can't do it. Okay, I'll send Aaron with you. Aaron's a real good talker. Aaron'll go with you and you and Moses steals like, I can't do it." And the Lord's like, "Just go." Moses was surprised. Nehemiah probably surprised. Jeremiah, you think he knew when he was a boy that he was going to be the one who spoke God's word to the nations that he had been formed in God's in the womb of his mother for that very purpose. Jeremiah didn't know that when he was a child. Gideon, think about Gideon. Gideon was just minding his own business out there in secret, right? Threshing the grain so that the enemies of Israel wouldn't find it and steal it. And the angel of the Lord appears to him says, Hey, Gideon, I'm going to use you to deliver your people from this oppression. Gideon says, I'm a little... I'm just a dude in a small house. I'm not the guy for the job. But if you really want me to do it, I'm going to throw this fleece out. And if it's wet and the ground's dry, then I'll know you want me to do it. And so he does that. Throws out the fleece. It's wet. The ground's dry. And, of course, he's satisfied, right? No. He's like, well, that could have been a fluke. So let's do this. Let's throw the fleece back out again. And if it's dry and the ground's wet, then I'll know. You really want me to go? Throws out the fleece and it's like that. And I, I mean, he's probably looking at it the next day like, I guess I'm going to have to go like make war and stuff. <laughs> I mean, this is how God works in people's lives. They have no idea what he's going to do with them. You don't know what the Lord's going to do with you. Your life's not over. I don't have a clue what God can do with you. I don't know what he is doing with you. But I know that if you are a person of faith... And I know that if you are before the Lord in prayer, he will use you and he will sculpt you and change you to do things that you never imagined. Our stories are not any different from Nehemiah's and the rest. You think just because it's so convenient that their stories are finished, right? They're written down. You're like, why would Nehemiah be scared? Why is Moses going to be scared? It's going to work out fine. It's going to be fine. I've read it before. What's he worried about? And then you go outside and try to live your life and see how you do. Man, I don't even want to know. Like when, if there's like a volume in heaven that contains everybody's lives and you can just look it up like a Google search and read people's uh, biographies like the Lord wrote it down. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be wild what the Lord has done through you and for you. And you'll read about the times you're faithless and just laugh and be like, what was I thinking? Our stories are not so different from Nehemiah, and the Lord is doing work in this world through his people, and you are invited to join him and make a difference in the world. His eyes are searching constantly for those who fear his word and will do his will and make a difference in the lives of people. Don't think that you have to be a person who changes the whole world. That would be nice. We don't know what the effects of our lives will be, of course, from generation to generation. But aren't, isn't everyone lovely? Isn't everyone beautiful? Made in the image of God? All of them important? Let's so make a difference in one life. Steer one heart towards eternity. One heart towards Christ. One person who's grieving without hope to find hope in the only one who is hope. Guide one person to see that the love of God in Christ Jesus is real. And Their life be changed. That's a big deal. Love people well so that they know at least one person loves them. There are people in this town, I'm not even saying in this world, there's probably someone within 10 blocks of this church who's never been loved truly by anyone. You can ask my wife after the service. You can ask Dr. Sims what they see at school. There are people in this town, children, no one's ever loved them. They've never felt affection or love. What are they worth? What are they worth? You don't have to set your sights so high to rebuild the whole city of Jerusalem. You could love this city well and the people you come into contact with well, and the Lord will use it. We read it at weddings a lot in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The greatest of these is love. Isn't that what the Bible says? Of These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So Nehemiah gets written down that he helped rebuild Jerusalem what will your story be could it be that you loved others well that would be the greatest wouldn't it one word of caution as we get to the end of this chapter or this passage Verse 9 says, He went to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. They had also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. They were upset. They did not want help for Israel. And I want to tell you, that he had not even gotten to work yet and people were unhappy about what he was going to do. And there will be no appeasing Sanballat and Tobias. None. The only way Nehemiah could have made them happy was to have ceased his work on behalf of the people of God. There is no sense in trying to appease those who hate God and his people because they will never be satisfied with any concession that the church makes because their true animus is directed at the Lord of hosts. We have to do our job of love and truth-telling in the face of those who will never be satisfied with concession. That is how it was for Nehemiah, and that is how it will be for us Our great hope is those who are opposed to God will become people of God through the witness of the children of God. The Lord Jesus has promised that He will be with us. And if we are a people of faith who love His truth, who love the gospel, God will use us. He will use us. He is using us. And so as you read through Nehemiah and you see what great things God did through him, know that God is doing great things through you. It may not seem that great to you. And in fact, if you had gone to Nehemiah as we go through this book, if you had gone to Nehemiah and asked him how he thought things were going, he probably felt like an utter failure at times. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. This, this book is like 2,500 years old. So I think that probably we're past the spoiler alert stage. But I'm just going to tell you. He leaves after a while. He does his work. He leaves, and when he comes back, the place is falling apart again. <laughs> what a bummer. My point is, is, if you look to Nehemiah, he probably didn't think he was accomplishing much. You may not think that you're accomplishing much. But you don't know. I don't know. So you just keep on plowing. Keep plowing. Jesus said anybody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back again is not worthy because you can't... Plow a straight line by looking back. Keep going. See what harvest you will reap. Nehemiah was a man of faith. He is a man of prayer. You can be a woman of faith, a woman of prayer, a man of faith, a man of prayer, a church of faith, a church of prayer. God will use us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father,